We uh, are continuing our series called Soul Shaping. And um, as many of you know, we're uh, using a book by author Keith Drury called The Soul Shaper. It's part of this series. We have a few more copies of those uh, books that we were able to get this week at the Resource Center, which is on your right if you exit through the double doors there. The whole idea of soul shaping is based on the fact that God has a vision for each follower of Jesus Christ. And that vision is stated in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. That God has predestined us to be conformed to the likeness or the image of His Son. In other words, God is shaping us into something. And that is into an increasing likeness of Jesus Christ. Let me just say one thing, though, about these practices that we're studying, these spiritual disciplines. They are intended to help us be more fully shaped into the likeness of Christ. They don't add to our salvation. They help further our spiritual growth. We might think of God, since the Bible presents him with this image, as the master potter who is shaping us into vessels for His honor and for His glory. These spiritual disciplines, these practices, uh, are, are simply things that keep us on the potter's wheel, where we're shaped by the loving hands of the master potter, who is shaping us increasingly into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to stress this when we're talking about spiritual disciplines or spiritual acts of any type. They do not bring about, nor do they add to our salvation. But they do help further our spiritual growth, our progress in being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. It is really important to understand this. And so I want to again mention two theological terms, theological concepts we talked about uh, last week, one of which is instantaneous, God does in a moment, and the other is progressive, something God does over time. It is critically important to understand these two concepts and the difference between them. The first is a theological idea that's simply called justification. Justification is an instantaneous act of God in which he declares, he calls a sinner just, made righteous, all because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Not because of our religious efforts or deeds or good intentions, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy. This is a work of God in which a person is regenerated brought to faith in Jesus Christ, and the righteousness of the sinless Son of God, Jesus, is credited to that person. Because of anything we've done? No. We merely placed our faith in Christ and what He did. As the book of Romans says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's justification. Sanctification is the other term. The other theological concept that it's really important to understand. And for this one, I'm going to use the word-by-word -word, uh, definition, word-for-word -word definition by uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem, great theologian. He defines sanctification this way. A progressive work of God 
and man. Now think of the term man to refer to all mankind, women, men, boys and girls. Progressive work of God that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. The book of Romans speaks of sanctification this way, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members, now that you've been justified, that is, now that you're believers, present the members of your body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Let's say, for example, you've got a room full of people, a hundred people in this room, and every single person in the room is a sincere, genuine believer in Jesus Christ. Every single person in that room, all 100, are justified. Each one is truly saved, truly born again. No one is more justified or more saved than another. Some people have been followers of Jesus. They've been saved. They've been justified for, for a month. Others for 20 years. Each one is equally justified. But each one is not equally sanctified. Sanctified, Sanctification is a process. And it is a process in which God involves us. That's why in the definition you see on the screen from Wayne Grudem, he says a progressive work of God and man. It's, It's a work of the Spirit of God in which he involves us. Some people make more progress in their sanctification, their likeness to Christ, more quickly because they are more fully yielded, devoted to the Lord. They're seeking God. They're studying His Word. And that's why we say this is a process in which God involves us. Now, these spiritual practices, these spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and fasting and Silence and solitude and simplicity, they are things that keep us on the potter's wheel so that the Spirit of God is working more deeply in us. And we make progress in this sanctification. We're being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's important not to get the two confused. People who get the two confused end up doing a lot of religious acts like these spiritual disciplines, to try to earn their justification. You can't do that. Jesus did it all for justification. Now he involves us in a work of his spirit that we call sanctification. So I hope that makes sense. I think it's important background when you come to religious practices like those we're talking about uh, in this series on sanctification. Now, I'd love to study this, this whole subject of spiritual disciplines, prayer and fasting. I think it's, it's interesting stuff to study. But we're coming to a discipline today that uh, I never heard of as a discipline before, never thought of as a spiritual discipline, and it is secrecy. Secrecy. Now, in the book we're studying, there are 22 different spiritual disciplines. And as I was uh, mapping out which ones to do messages on, secrecy was not one of those. We're doing nine messages. David Holcomb, however, felt strongly that we should do a message on secrecy. What I should have done when he said that was say, great, let's put you down for the message on that day. And it just did not work out that way. So if this doesn't go well, the person you can blame is David Holcomb. 
who's not here in the service right at the moment. You'll, you'll see him at the Resource Center uh, later. David felt this was a really important one. So I'm um, deferring to his wisdom here, though I was inclined to skip it. Now, some spiritual disciplines are fairly easy to define. Silence, we know what that is. Solitude, we know what that is. We know what prayer is. We know what fasting is. But secrecy? Well, here we're going to lean on the author of this book we're using, Keith Drury, and he suggests uh, these things about this discipline of secrecy. The discipline of secrecy is abstaining from taking credit for the good works we do. When we take up the discipline of secrecy, we rely on God alone for our affirmation and approval. Secrecy provides a way to purify our motives. And motives is a key word here, which is what it's all about. And I have to say, as I have thought and studied about this and seen what Jesus taught in the passage that Justin just read, I've realized more and more how I need my own motivations purified in this way. And so we're going to look at this time at uh, the passage Justin read a moment ago. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, which is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This great Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, teaches a radical way of life, radically different way of life that is to be lived out by the followers of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is teaching, is teaching his disciples what it means to be his follower, what it means to live as he calls his people to live, he first makes this point that his followers are to avoid doing good deeds in order to be seen by other people. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is clearly here talking about religious deeds, spiritual deeds, because he refers to these deeds, some of them, as being done in the synagogue and being done by religious people. And he contrasts the right way of doing these spiritual practices with the wrong way, the wrong way being uh, exemplified by a group of people Jesus simply calls the hypocrites. What does Jesus say about the hypocrites? We learn from the hypocrites the wrong way to help us better understand the right way. What do the hypocrites do? In their giving, first of all, Jesus indicates there is the sounding of trumpets. Now, this one's kind of funny to me when I read it. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Can you imagine that? Somebody coming into the temple and a da-da-da-da, trumpet sign. They're going to give a $1,000 gift to the poor. They're boasting about it, making a big deal about it, blowing a trumpet. You know, it's a funny thing. It's an interesting thing to me in reading the Bible. How often a phrase or teaching in the Bible has given rise to a saying that we still use in our language today. Have you ever heard of somebody tooting their own horn, blowing their own horn? Oh, he likes to toot his own horn. He's somebody who just brags, you know. Well, I assume, guess that this is where that 
came from. But notice the motivation of the hypocrites here, that they may be praised by others. This is the motive behind their giving. They're doing it for a show. They're doing it that they may be praised by others. Jesus gives another example of what the hypocrites do when they're praying. They're praying in the most visible, conspicuous places. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. The Jews had certain times of prayer every day. 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., the hours for prayer, hours of prayer. And it would seem that certain religious folks would make it a point to be in the most conspicuous places at the hour of prayer, right on the street corner. You can just envision a hypocrite walking out to a busy street corner to say the prayers publicly in order to be seen by others, in order to be thought religious by others. And this is their motive again. Jesus says that they may be seen by others. And then Jesus takes another spiritual or religious practice, and that is fasting. The hypocrites, when they're fasting, are looking gloomy with disfigured faces. And Jesus says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like them, for they disfigured their faces, that their fasting may be, and again we see it, seen by others. So you can imagine walking down the street, you see somebody is He's grimacing, his face is twisted, and you say to your friend, what's wrong? Oh, nothing's wrong. I'm fasting for the Lord all day today, all day tomorrow. They're just bragging about it. And Jesus is saying, that's what the hypocrites do. And you're not to be like them. What's their motive? To be praised by others, to be seen by others. Jesus uses these three examples. And he teaches us, if praise from others is your motivation, you will have no reward from God. The hypocrites seek praise, seek to be seen. You'll have no reward from God. And so Jesus is teaching his followers in this passage, seek to do good deeds for God's eyes only. Seek to do them. And that's what secrecy is all about. He sees in secret, and he will reward you, as Jesus says. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This raises a question which I've been asked before. Maybe you've wondered about this some yourself. Does this mean you should never let anyone know at any time um, what you are giving? Jesus is using a figure of speech here. You know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Our hands don't know what we're doing. Our brain does. But it's, it's, he's using a figure of speech to make his, his point that your giving should not be motivated like the hypocrites blowing a trumpet before their giving, but it's done before your father, your father in secret. But again, does this mean nobody should ever know what you give? Well, we have examples in Scripture of people letting it be known what they gave. Uh, King David is perhaps the, the foremost example of that in the Old Testament when he lists this immense amount of wealth that he's giving for the building of a temple. In the New Testament, we see examples like Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 
19, where he, he, he's realizing who Jesus is. He says, Lord, half my goods I'm giving to the poor. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He really commends him for his faith as a son of Abraham. The point is not that no one can ever know, you know what your giving is. If you're giving uh, to any organization, give me the church. Well, whoever's keeping financial records is going to know. People at the bank who handle your checks or other money are going to know. The point is that we don't give in order to be seen by anyone else. Now, I do think there's some, some real um, abuse of this in some even Christian fundraising today, often fundraisers know that people will give and give more if they're going to get some public recognition. And you may have seen something this promoted before on television or in a mailing. I'd hope you'd never see it in our church, but you know, if you give this amount of money, your name's going to be listed in the brochure as a silver partner. But if you give this amount of money, your name's going to be listed in our annual magazine as a platinum partner or something like that. Jesus is saying, don't let that be your motivation. Let your motivation be worship of your Father in heaven and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The key, the key is our motivation. And the discipline of secrecy calls us to do the good deeds we do not for recognition by anyone else, but for the pleasure and honor of God. Another example, that of prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The question arises again, is it always wrong to let others know you are praying? Do you always have to pray alone? Do you always have to go in your room and shut the door? Certainly, Jesus is not saying you always have to pray alone, because throughout Scripture, Believers are seen praying together. This is commended by God. Jesus even talks to the benefit of two or more gathered in my name, asking of your Father in heaven. Jesus told others he was praying. He told Peter and James and John in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm going over here to pray. You stand there and watch. And if you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, a number of times he talks about the regularity and the frequency of his prayers for them. It's not wrong to let people know you're praying, and it's certainly not wrong to pray corporately with other people. The key is the motive. Are you standing in a place where somebody's going to see you praying just so they'll think of you as a more spiritual person? If that's your motive, it's wrong. If your motivation is to seek your Father, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What about fasting? When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Is it always wrong to let anybody else know you're fasting? Well, if you're uh, living in a household with other people, certainly they're going to know. I'd a whole lot rather tell my wife um, I'm fasting this meal than just not to show up for dinner and go down into the basement and say, what's wrong? What are you mad about? How come you're not talking to me? It's just practical sense. And again, in Scripture, there were a number of corporate fasts where groups of people uh, fasted together, prayed together. The key in all of this is our motive. The Lord sees the heart. 
The Lord is calling us not to be like the religious hypocrites who do religious things in order to get praise from people. Do what you do for the honor and the glory of God. And oftentimes that means doing things in secret. That means doing things to serve someone, to help one, someone, and you don't tell anybody about it. Doing some special thing or work that God wants you to do, and you don't go around boasting about it, just mentioning it so that others will think better of you. That's what this practice of secrecy is all about, doing things for, for God's honor, for His glory. All of this raises a question that I'd like to think about just for a moment, talk about just for a moment, and it's the idea of reward from God. What does Jesus mean when he says, if you pray to your Father in secret, if you don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, if you don't brag to everybody about your fasting, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How does God reward us, and what does that mean? Well, I'll say, first off, I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Um, is it reward in heaven, or is it reward here on earth, or both? I'm not sure about that. I tend to think it is both. But when I think about reward, I, th I think about one major world religion today, not Christianity, but another major world religion who, who often uh, says to people, if you do certain things, you'll get this great reward in the afterlife that consists of increased and enhanced material and physical pleasures. And to me, that just does not sound consistent with who God is. The greatest reward God can ever give us is Himself. A deeper, fuller, richer love for and relationship with Himself. We are created in the image of God to know and love God and experience His love. The greatest thing in the world is the love of God that has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God shares that with us. Far greater than any material, physical reward is that deepening awareness of the love of God for you, a growing love for Him, joy and contentment in the Holy Spirit. And I think, at least in part, this reward of which Jesus speaks has to do with that. More of God. More pleasure in God. More joy in God. More contentment in God. So, as we draw to a close... Just a few thoughts about this practice of secrecy. When we practice secrecy, we do things primarily out of love for God and desire to please Him. I think that things done out of love for God lead to increased love for God. We choose giving glory to God over recognition for ourselves. And I think when we choose to do things out of this motivation to give honor and glory to God, 
we experience increased love for God. We find our need for approval met by God rather than in the approval of others. And then finally, we find contentment and joy, a deep and abiding contentment and joy in doing God's will for God's glory, for God's honor, for God's pleasure. So I would just leave you with this question this morning. How is God calling me to practice secrecy this week? Let's pray about that this morning. Father, as we come to you today and we hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, we ask for your Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to show us ways that we have sought the approval of others rather than seeking first your approval. Would you forgive us for our pride and arrogance, for our great concern for our own reputation? Lord, give us greater concern for your honor and for your glory. We pray for a deepening work of the Holy Spirit within us to lead us forward to great progress in sanctification. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's not yet experienced your justification, that you'd bring that person to a recognition of their sin and their need and an awareness that Jesus paid the debt for that sin in his death on the cross and in his resurrection is calling that one to place their faith in him. May you be magnified in our lives, Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.